Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Happy holidays and welcome to the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest today from the Biden White House. Well, I don't have to tell you, there are a million differences between Donald Trump and Joe Biden on both the personal and the political level. But here's one of the big ones. When he was running for president, Donald Trump promised to spend $1 trillion on rebuilding our infrastructure. And in four years, he didn't spend a dime. Four years later, Joe Biden promised to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure, and he did. $1.2 trillion, to be exact by signing the 2021 Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. But signing the bill was the easy part. How to spend a trillion dollars is the hard part. And to lead that effort, President Biden turned to an experienced hand, Mitch Landrieu, former mayor of New Orleans, who helped rebuild New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Landrieu serves as special assistant to the president in charge of the all-important job of working with all 50 states and cities large and small to decide where federal infrastructure funds are most needed and will help the most people by rebuilding older infrastructure like roads and bridges or building new ones like broadband to meet the needs of the 21st century. We're honored today to have Mayor Landrieu join us for an update. Mr. Mayor, good to talk to you and welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bill. Great to be with you again. So you just celebrated one year anniversary of the big Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which President Biden signed in November uh, 2021. Uh, tell us, first of all, our listeners, uh, Mitch, how, what's this all about? How big is it? And uh, you know, what's it cover? Well, you know, I do want to talk about that, but I, I want to back up for a second because okay. after being here for a year, uh, besides being incredibly thankful and honored to be able to serve and thankful to the president for asking me, you know, I, I supported Joe Biden for the presidency because I thought he was the right man for the time. And I'm thrilled that in looking back, this is really a, a great story about how a particular person met his moment. You know, if you think about when the president... Uh, was running for office. He said, look, if you elect me, I'm going to help stabilize the country. I'm going to turn us around. I'm going to get us ready for our future. I'm going to help save democracy. And I'm going to put down one of the greatest threats that America's seen in a long time. And, you know, you look back at this after him having been underestimated, uh, I mean, just in an unbelievable way about what he produced. And I'm just reminding people that when the president, after he got elected, he was actually facing what we now know was an active insurrection. He had a massive health emergency crisis, a massive economic downturn, and he got to work right away. And looking back on it, with the bipartisan infrastructure law being a significant part of it, they passed the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Law, the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act. 
I mean, the largest plethora of domestic policy legislation that Bill we've probably seen in our lifetime. Absolutely. And so I think people people give that short shrift, and we talk about the infrastructure law, which I'll talk about with you in detail, but we forget that it's part of an overarching theory um, that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice and building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out, which is wholly different from what we saw in the years past. So when you think about what we're doing from that perspective, it adds some sense of, of joy to the work that we're doing um, and also a commitment to continue to do that. On top of that, as everybody may recall, in the not too distant past, everybody thought the president was going to get his clock clean uh, yeah. in the midterms. And he, he gave a speech a couple of days before that he got roundly criticized for, which was about restoring the soul of America, which was chapter two to having won the election and, and, and putting down an insurrection where he talked about the need for the country to return to civility. And it turns out that the country was thirsty for that. And I think it had something to do with the fact that he had the best midterm that any president has seen in the past 50 or 60 years with, I mean, titans like uh, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama getting their clocks clean um, during that period of time. And this president with a really slim majority actually being the first president in a long, long time. I can't even recall the date that didn't lose any seats in the Senate going forward. And so yeah. um, as the president says he wants to unify the country, there's a lot of evidence now um, that this president has kept his promises to the American people. And and in, in that comes uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law. So thank you for letting me just put that, that overarching theme on the work that we're doing. But essentially— Let me just add, if I can, there, sure. Mr. Mayor, by the way, that year was 1934, <laughs> the last time uh, yeah. a sitting president did not lose one single seat uh, in the midterms. But, you know, it, it is true, and I, I echo what you said. I mean— uh, Joe Biden has done so much check, 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 check almost everything he said he was going to do um, and gets so damn little credit for it, even from a lot of Democrats, which uh, I'm sure pisses you off and it pisses me off, too. Well, <laughs> so. I just think people listen. Fair is fair. And if if when you're running for office, you say, I want to be president and they say, well, if you get elected, what are you going to do? And you say, well, what are the things that would make you think I was a great president? Give me 10 of the things. Joe Biden said every one of them. Yep. Uh, 10, 10, 10.5 million new jobs, the lowest unemployment rate, gas prices down now, lower than they were before the war started, more manufacturing jobs that have been produced in this country in ages, topping 700,000 now, completely rebuilding um, pro, uh, things that we need in this country with people that are made in, uh, in this country with things that are made in this country. And so when you look at just the objective criteria uh, against which you judge presidents, this president has done a superb job, and he's done it all the while by being a decent, nice, but very tough and thoughtful leader. And so um, I feel great about it. Um, the, let me answer your question about the infrastructure law, just to, to put some yeah, put meat on these bones. Um, let, let's talk about the problem first. The problem has been long-lasting. Um, every president has come into office with every governor and every mayor talking about having to rebuild our infrastructure. And the reason why infrastructure is so important is it is the base upon which the economy sits. Are you going to be able to compete in an international you know, marketplace? Are you going to be able to create high-paying jobs? Are you going to be able to move people from home to work, to church, to playgrounds? It is the thing that if you leave behind, and everybody knows about deferred maintenance, I mean, it really gets more expensive and makes life miserable. So the president said, if you elect me, I'm going to make this happen. And sure enough, gets elected, puts a bipartisan group of people together 
and puts $1.2 trillion on the table to rebuild the roads, the bridges, the airports, the ports, the waterways, make sure that everybody in America has access to high-speed internet so that we can realize our God-given gifts uh, with having access to knowledge, actually cleaning up the air and the water by cleaning up Superfund sites, brownfield sites, um, getting the lead out of the water, making sure that abandoned mine lands and orphan wells are cleaned up that industry left behind and walked away from. And then finally, building a new clean energy economy, um, which has just been an unbelievable ride with uh, just the announcement yesterday um, where they're starting to think about nuclear fusion uh, and the possibilities of actually finding a new energy source uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't poison the planet. And so when, when, when you put that kind of stuff in play, you know, the president asked me to come up and help organize how to get that money to the ground, basically. And yeah. in the last year, we have pushed $185 billion out of the door. We have 7,000 projects uh, that are in play in 4,000 counties across the country. Uh, the president, the vice president, the cabinet secretaries have made more than 200 trips. Members of Congress, members of the Senate have done over 1,200 uh, events across the country. Um, and essentially, we're rebuilding America from the ground up, as the president said, in order for us to win the competition of the 21st century, which you know he is insisting that we are not going to uh, lose. We're going to go from 13th to 1st um, in a reasonable period of time. Well, you know, uh, spending a trillion dollars uh, is probably a lot tougher than it sounds, right? I mean, you say, oh, man, I wish I had a trillion dollars to spend. But actually deciding where it goes, what projects, what states, urban areas or rural areas, I mean, this is a big job you've got. And how yeah. who who makes those decisions? Is the you do or the governors do? And tell us how that works. It's a good question. First of all, um, you can give away money bad. <laughs> and you can waste a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, or you cannot have enough money because you're not thoughtful about how to raise it and you cannot spend it. And, you know, you have problems and challenges coming out of both, you know, sides of of, of that of that uh, analysis. But um, you got a couple of things going on here. First of all, uh, $1.2 trillion is a lot of money. Um, it is a great start to get America back on track to be number one again. And there are a couple of ways that that this money gets spent, I'll take you through it. My, one of my jobs um, that I learned how to form from helping rebuild the city of New Orleans with the help of a bunch of people is that you have to get everybody on the, singing out of the same, on the same page out of the same hymn book, essentially. Yeah. And in order to do this, the federal government's gotta be rightly positioned, state governments do, mayors do, and then county folks do, along with the business, labor, the not-for-profit, and the faith-based community. So one of the things, I'm trying to help do with my team is build a national team of players who can actually get this money down to the ground and then out of the ground to build the road, the bridge, the high-speed internet, et cetera. Now, to do that, it, it really requires a tremendous amount of work, which I call building the mousetrap. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you've got to make sure that the governors and the mayors are on page with you because the way Congress wrote this bill, 90% of this money will actually be spent by the governors and the mayors. And it requires them to work together as well. So one of the ways that I thought would be helpful to do that is to get the governors to have themselves appoint an infrastructure coordinator whose job it is to coordinate all of the state agencies. Yeah. I'm coordinating all of the federal agencies, and we're talking to the mayors about coordinating the city agencies and then pushing them down into a flat, what I call one team, one fight group of individuals whose job it is to make sure that we're always talking, 
We're always planning. We're always thinking and that we're making sure that there's alignment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is actually getting the money out of the door to them. Now, the money gets out of the door two ways. One is just through the formulas that have been set up when Ronald Reagan became president and said, I want to work with the governors. Just send the money to the governors and let them spend it. Um, there's some of that in there. So highway funding, for example, is going through the same pipeline that it always went through. It just, there's just more in it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting money for clean water is in the same pipeline. It's gone to the governors. There's just more in it. Now, the governors have to send us a plan, and that plan has to make sure that they include everybody and don't leave anybody out. And when we sign off on it, we work with them to get that money out. So that's the first way. The second way is to say, you know what? Why don't we create a competition uh, in the country and let governors and mayors and county executives and tribal leaders and communities come to us and say, hey, we think we have a better idea on yeah. how to build a road, or a better idea on how to lay high-speed internet, or a better idea how to put down EV charging stations. And then you win the competition. So there's money that goes out that way, too. And of course, um, all of these decisions on the competitive stuff are made by the secretaries themselves. Um, our office, the White House, doesn't make those decisions. And so we have 14 cabinet secretaries that are part of this effort, seven of them primarily. Um, you know, Department of Transportation, Secretary Buttigieg and his team, Gina Raimondo out of Commerce, Tom Vilsack uh, out of Agriculture, Deb Holland out of Interior, um, Jenny Granholm out of Energy, um, and a, a host of other people that have small pieces of, of this. Um, we're working uh, directly with lots of folks on Puerto Rico and, of course, the territories. Uh, and as you think about the challenges you have in faraway places like Alaska, which are geographically attenuated, that brings challenges to it. And so we have all of these mechanisms set up to try to work hard to get this money to the ground and make sure that what's being built there lays a really good foundation to, to make sure that folks have high paying jobs and then have access to the things that they need for the private sector to jump off of uh, and, of course, leverage and add a lot of value to. Right. Now, how, I'm curious, uh, what kind of cooperation are you getting from the governors of red states? Um, uh, are they are they part of the team as well? Or they, yeah, they it's actually been, you know, contrary to, you know, I mean, obviously everybody in Washington wants to fight about what time of day it is. Yeah. Um, right. And, that, and that, that's the natural instinct in this city. But honestly, uh, I, I have found nothing but complete cooperation from all of the governors. I have personally spoken to every one of the governors. Um, the one or two that I have not spoken to, I've been in touch with them through that chiefs of staff never really have had a problem getting any information to or from them as it relates to the the work that they need to do. As Speaker Pelosi said, and you got to love Nancy, she said, look, even those people that voted no, they want the dough. And so <laughs> you've been in this business a long time. SSI have been a legislator for 16 years. I was a lieutenant governor for six. That even those folks that vote against these things, not only do they want the money, but they'll claim credit you know, when it gets to the ground. Right. And you know what? From this president's perspective, heck, that's okay. He wants, he wants to make sure that we see everybody in this country because he's, he's helping lead us to what he calls a better America. A better America is a unified America. A better America is a America that thinks that diversity is a strength, not a weakness, where we basically make sure that, that white and black and, and brown uh, and, and every color of the rainbow, um, rural, urban, white, rich, poor, everybody's got a shot at everything, openness, inclusiveness. That's what builds a better America. He thinks that you know, thinking about climate and making sure that we build back stronger and better because we know what the challenges are coming our way, whether it's hurricanes or tornadoes or wildfires or drought, we've got to build back smarter and stronger. That builds a better America.
He thinks that, that union labor is, is a better America, and he thinks that using products that are made in America helps build a better America. So all of those kinds of values mm-hmm. are part of what it is that we're trying to, to, to get done um, in, in, in America. So, um, Mitch, you said there are 7,000 projects that are out the door underway. Um, are there, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm sure I don't want to ask you to play favorites, but are, are there any like really big ones that you're really uh, proud of that you think kind of are um, maybe exemplary of what the infrastructure bill can do? Well, the, for, well, first of all, I'm not exaggerating here. There are actually thousands of them. What's so exciting about what's happening is the ingenuity and the creativity and how much, how much need there is out there. Um, and so as these projects go up, you, you'll, you'll start to see them coming out of the ground. As a matter of fact, you probably drive by many of them. Today, most every highway project that you're driving by on your way to work that's aggravating you because it's causing more traffic is a project that's got a federal dollar in it. Yeah. I'll give you an example of, you know, you want to ask for a great project, uh, there are many of them. But part of this bill has something called reconnect. You you remember, you're old enough to remember this. Forgive me for out your age. But, you know, we ran highways through uh, traditionally historic African-American neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. yeah. And what we're trying to do now is get people to think differently about that and to reconstruct those by creating something called reconnect. One of these is on I-70 that goes right downtown Denver. I just talked to the governor um, the other day. Another one is Detroit, uh, I-375. Um, and there are many of them across the country. But it, in, in downtown Phoenix, right, I mean, on the highway, they basically have dug a tunnel underneath what used to be the expressway in I-70. They took where the highway used to be and, and reconnected the communities on both sides, put a soccer field, put an amphitheater, put mm. a, a playground that connected a school to the businesses and actually going to recreate that neighborhood. That's just exciting as hell. Um, and that's going to replicate itself across the country. All of the lead pipe work that's getting done, um, you know, to make sure that we deliver clean water uh, to to children across this country and not poisoning them with forcing them to drink lead out of uh, drink water with lead in it from lead pipes is critically important. Cleaning up abandoned mine lands that then help restore that particular community back to it. Building an exit um, off of an interstate, you know, that actually creates all kinds of economic development and housing. Those kinds of things are happening cleaning up the Great Lakes. I mean, just taking people back to the water that basically created a, another um, quality of life. And then finally, just the kind of the hardcore, getting the ports um, and the locks moving in the right direction to get make, make sure that we're moving stuff on more barges and taking it off of trains um, and taking it off of trucks, reducing the climate footprint. All of that's happening as we speak in itty bitty points across the whole country, which is going to turn into a tsunami of economic growth and activity. And then finally, you just see you see this every day now um, on the on the creation of a new clean economy where the president has said, when we do this, we're going to create inc- incredible new infrastructure. The private sector has responded magnificently. Um, General Motors, Siemens, Tritium, Micron, a hundred billion dollar investment in Syracuse. The other day in, in, uh, in Arizona, in Phoenix, you had another 40 million dollar, 40 billion dollar investment to build batteries, uh, component parts. You have GM talking about building factories all across the country to build automotive, um, to, to build vehicles that are going to have batteries in them. You have folks that are talking about taking critical minerals out of the ground that, that are the component parts of the batteries. All of these things creating these high paying jobs. So that's when the president says when he hears climate now, what he hears is jobs. He's 100 percent right. Um, not, not, not just about the air and the water, but jobs and high paying jobs that are going to build generational wealth for people across the country.
Are these union jobs? Are they required to be union jobs? Many. Well, the president's the president's strong feeling is that, of course, and you've heard him say this many times, that the middle class built America and unions built um, the middle class. And to the extent possible under the law, the president has encouraged people to use union labor um, and working really hard to do it. And their preferences in some of the competitive things for that to occur. Um, most of the transportation stuff, which is a, about half of the spend, um, most of that is subject to Davis-Bacon laws and encourage you know, folks to use union labor as much as they possibly can. Right. Uh, there are, what I find interesting about this too, uh, so much of it interesting, is we're talking about infrastructure in the 21st century, which looks a little different than the traditional roads and bridges of infrastructure of the 20th century that we often think about. Uh, I want to ask you about a, a couple of those, um, Mayor Landrew, but we're going to take, let's take a quick break uh, just to uh, make sure we uh, take care of our sponsors here. You know what that's like. Uh, here on the Bill Press Pod, and then we'll be right back and pick up there. And today's podcast brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Good members of LIUNA, over half a million strong. They're the backbone of the labor, industry, labor unions in this country, uh, doing construction work, uh, building new schools, roads and highways, water and sewer system treatment plants. Uh, in the energy field, building solar panels and wind turbines and old-fashioned pipelines. And in the public sector, some 70,000 members of the Labor's Union supporting working families, providing good jobs and good benefits for working families in America. We salute the members of LIUNA and their president, President Terry O'Sullivan. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest today, special assistant to President Biden for uh, making sure that the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is uh, working for all Americans, particularly those Americans who need it best, uh, need it most in all 50 states. 
in the territories, Puerto Rico and uh, the District of Columbia. We're talking about Mitch Landrew, former mayor of New Orleans. Welcome back, Mr. Mayor. So let me ask you about uh, the 21st century infrastructure. Let's start with broadband. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, relatively new, but as important as roads and bridges, right? Well, no question about it. I, listen, access to knowledge is the great equalizer, and the president wants to level the playing field. Uh, people who didn't understand this before COVID clearly understand it now. The world changed dramatically. Technology has been an essential part of our life. And if you're a kid sitting in the lower ninth ward in New Orleans, or you're in the hollows of Kentucky, or you're sitting on a tribal land you know, in, in uh, New Mexico, or you're in Alaska, and you don't have access to high-speed internet, you are SOL. You just, there's no way yeah. that you're going to compete. Um, and the same thing is true if you're in rural America. You know, we've seen so many people that have left rural America to go to places where they think they can make a greater living. With If you just think about this, how incredible this, this and wonderful this is. If everybody has access to the whole world from wherever they are, that changes a lot of decisions people are making and the choices folks have had to make in the past about living with people they love and going to a place where they can work. Think about removing that conflict from people. And of course, the president said, I want to make that happen, that no little girl ought to be able to sit in the back of a mama's car outside of McDonald's parking lot because she has to do a homework by stealing internet from a yeah. fast food restaurant. That's just an insane thing in the United States of America. So there's a substantial amount of money, 60 billion or so, in this bill to make sure that we uh, make sure everybody's got access to knowledge. Now, again, just in terms of the execution of this thing, there are seven federal agencies that are implicated in this, and those agencies are now coordinating every day up here so that we can then go to the governors and say, look, you've got to give me a plan. Give us the federal government a plan. Once you sign off, once we sign off on that plan, we're going to send each of them $100 million as just the beginning to actually start A, laying fiber optic cable, and then B, if there is fiber optic cable and then there are people there that can't afford it, working with the internet service providers to provide uh, fairly inexpensive service that the federal government will also give a credit for, which, which essentially means it functionally costs nothing for people that are living 200% below the poverty level. And if people want to have access to this, all they have to do is go to getinternet.gov and you can sign up for it. This is like the earned income tax credit. It's just easy breezy. And if you do that and you're 200 percent below the poverty level, you're basically going to get 100 megabytes per second for nothing per month. So we've got 40 million people that, have, that are eligible for this. We have now signed up about 6 million in the last year or so. And we every day we're pushing this information out so people can have access to it. You know, the one aspect of the bill that I hear maybe the most the most complaints about is uh setting up EV charging stations along the nation's highways. Why is that so important? Well, think about this. We are moving from the combustion engine into battery-operated vehicles. You have to get from there to where you're going. Um, and one of the things that concerns people about, about new battery-operated vehicles is where am I going to plug in? Right. You know, because everybody's used to just pulling over the gas station uh, and fueling up and then hitting the road. So that entire infrastructure needs to be changed. Now, this is both a public sector thing and a private sector. But on the public sector side, there's money in this bill to actually get a plan from each governor to cumulatively lay down 500,000 electrical vehicle charging stations along public right-of-ways. So again, we're asking each of the governors in the country to give us a plan. We want to make sure that they include everybody. When they do that, we will start sending them money um, to start putting that down. In the meantime, 
You have private sector companies, GM announced the other day, they're going to do a million of these, right? Every automaker in the world, as you know, if they want to sell vehicles, they're going to have to start putting these up too. And these EV charging stations on the public side will be every 50 miles on the highway. So eventually, we're going to have a private and a public network of EV charging stations, which are all interoperable so that you don't have range anxiety. Um, it's going to take us a bit of time to get there, but at some point in time, I mean, most people in this country are going to be driving electric vehicles. Um, the batteries are going to get better. They're going to get faster. They're going to last longer. They're going to be quicker to charge. And by the way, for all my buddies in the rural area, I have a prediction for you. Um, that Ford F-150, you know, or, or, or the GM, you know, pickup truck that you're driving, all you folks are going to be driving these beautiful high-powered things that are going to tow a boat, you know, take you hunting, you know, go everywhere and do everything that you want to do in the rural areas. And I think rural America is going to own – you know, have more, more, if not more, at least as many as they do in urban settings in the not too distant future. Right. Uh, and a big aspect of this, you touched on it earlier. I just want to come back one second on it is clean energy. I mean, right. These are, this is renewable energy. This is clean energy. That's a big focus of the uh, infrastructure act. Well, I think that people have seen the future. Um, climate is an existential crisis. Everybody knows that, you know, if we're putting dirty stuff in the air and we're heating the environment, it's causing a lot of catastrophic, you know, consequences. I'm from Louisiana, as you know, and uh, Katrina, Rita, Ike Gustav, BP oil spill, it goes on and on and on. And right now, if you just look across America without being fatalistic about it, you know, we're having a massive drought problem in the West. You've got tornadoes, you've got hurricanes, you've got the, you've got the whole nine yards. And so we, we have to move into a space where we're producing cleaner energy, which is why this announcement yesterday about this breakthrough in nuclear fusion is so exciting. But before we even get to that point, you've got to figure out a way to generate uh, energy through new sources. And so this bill, in partnership with the Inflation Reduction Act, which besides reducing health care costs and prescription drugs for seniors, actually is a major investment on top of the infrastructure law in creating clean energy. And so we have money in this bill to help create what they call hydrogen hubs which are research places uh, in partnership with the private sector where we can do a lot of work. We have uh, funds for direct air capture. We have funds for improved transmission. We have funds in here for grid resilience to make sure that the electric grids in this country are fortified and sustained so we don't lose electricity. There are funds in the bill uh, to incentivize wind and solar. Uh, and then, of course, energy efficiency to help work with the private sector, with the private sector, not against the private sector, to get us there sooner rather than later because We've got to hit those marks or we're going to be in a really difficult, uh, you know, situation. And, you know, I've, I've been I've been around long enough to know that when you try to fight against Mother Nature, it doesn't turn out as well than when you're trying to work with her. It's a general rule. Yeah, exactly. Well, you sure have you have a tiger by the tail, uh, Mr. Andrew, for sure. And I I find it remarkable that remember when President Obama passed the big stimulus in his first year of his term. Who, who did he put in charge to make sure the stimulus money went out in the right way? It was Joe Biden, right? Yeah, so, well, he's, he's reminded me of that a couple of oh. times. <laughs> so Joe Biden says, if I need somebody to do what the job that I had. I'm going to pick Mitch Landrieu, and I think he made uh, the right choice. Before we let you go, though, I do have to ask you a couple of kind of related questions. Okay. But one is, so Mr. Mayor, first of all, you come from a great, great family in Louisiana. Uh, your dad, your sister Mary, whom I know well. Uh, you were in the state legislature, you were lieutenant governor, you were the mayor of New Orleans, you are a Democrat who knows how to win in 
a red state, a win in the South. Uh, how do Democrats have to, what can Democrats learn from that, uh, Mayor? Well, I'm a, listen, I'm a little bit limited by the Hatch Act by talking about any specific oh, okay. race, but I will say, but I, I will say generally that, you know, politics really isn't that complicated. I think that we make it harder than it really is, but I would encourage anybody that wants to represent, you know, anybody in, in, in an elected capacity, you got to go everywhere. You got to talk to everybody. And I, I've just found in my life, and I just believe this to be true, that we have a lot more in common than separates us. Some people really literally choose to find the thing that separates us and fight about that, which we could spend a lot of time doing. Other people run towards common ground. I always think that's the better part of, of wisdom. The country's been really in, a, in an upset state of mind for a lot of different reasons, but much more acutely in the last six years. Bill, I think that you'll, you'll agree um, in our lives, before, last time we had something like this, we were talking about the late 60s. Um, but this is a pivotal moment. And I think the president, to his credit, has seen this since the day he ran for office, which is why he starts talking about restoring the soul of America. You know, one thing Joe Biden talks about a lot is dignity and respect. Um, and, and you have heard him say, much to the chagrin of some of the folks in the Democratic Party, my friend Mitch McConnell. I said, why would you call Mitch McConnell your friend? Because I think that he can separate, as, as do smart, grown-up people who actually are responsible for getting stuff done, that you can actually be friends and respect somebody that you disagree with and disagree with them in an agreeable fashion, because that's essentially what the genius of the modern American system is about. It's just when people think they got to burn somebody else's houses down that, that disagrees with them about what time of day it is that we get into the kind of difficulty that we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think he wants to restore that decency, understanding that in America, it's a pluralistic society, it's diverse, we're going to have lots of differences of opinion, but you got to stay within the constitutional guardrail. So I would just say to everybody on the on the left or the right, if you want to win, go talk to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, try to, try to convince people in the marketplace of ideas, whether you win or lose. And then after a, a hard fought election, you know, accept the results, dust yourself off, get up, you know, and come back for the battle the next day. That, that's what you do. That's how that's how America works. It doesn't work the other way. And we're in the process right now of it not working the other way. And right. I think we demonstrated that to ourselves. So we ought to knock that off and get back on the playing field with reasonable umps, arrests, calling good, you know, uh, good files and not good files and, and, and letting the game go on. So fi finally, uh, Mr. Mayor, so uh, President Biden uh, recently held a, a wonderful, I wasn't there, but I read all, all about it, state dinner, welcome to the White House, uh, President Macron of France. And great. what's the official the meeting between the two of them and the summit and the state dinner was over? President Macron decided he wanted to see New Orleans and he <laughs> took you with him. <laughs> well, uh, I th let me just say this. I, th I think I took him. Tell us, tell us was, about that visit. How did it go? Did he have a good time? It yeah. was so fantastic. Well, first of all, for the listeners, I'm from Louisiana, which uh, you may or yeah. may not know from your history was owned once by, by France. Um, back in the day, where the only New Orleans is the only city in America that was owned by France and Spain, um, and through a great deal confected by Thomas Jefferson, you know we beat the French out of uh, the Louisiana Purchase at four cents an acre, which the French president did not want to talk about, by the way. <laughs> but but Louisiana also, because of the great expulsion from Canada way back in the day, uh, and other things, have about two hundred thousand French-speaking people in it, so it's oh. very familiar. 
on Jackson Square, there's a church called St. Louis Cathedral, which is named after the King of France. In any event, I mean, New Orleans is one of this country's great European cities. And so the president, uh, much to his credit, I've been trying for 10 years to get him to come visit. And by the way, when the last French president came uh, to New Orleans in 1976, my father was the mayor. I was 16 years old. I was actually at that visit. Oh, wow. So it was a wonderful gift for the president to say, hey, why don't you come down there with me and help me get around? And uh, we went down there, was able to fly down on his plane. He was wonderful to be with, very engaging, loves the United States of America, loves President Biden. He just come from the state dinner, which, as you know, is about as beautiful an event as you can go to. Um, but it's not like being on the streets of New Orleans with a jazz band where people are, you know, <laughs> stepping and dancing. Yeah. So when, he hit the ground, when he hit the ground, there was a, there was a um, uh, what we call a second line jazz band. And I mentioned to him that this was kind of our military band in New Orleans, as opposed to the fantastic, <laughs> you know, Marine band that played him off, you know, off, off of the premises in DC. He had a wonderful day there. Um, the crowds there were, were very welcoming. Most people were speaking French to him, which he thought was just so unbelievable. And he felt very much at home and, and, uh, and spent the day there. And then that night he wanted to go hear some jazz music. So we went down to Frenchman street and I had, uh, wow. A little help in my tour. I had Trombone Shorty on my arm, <laughs> one of the great, you know, musicians in, in America. And, and that from John Baptiste, you know, um, playing music for him at the White House to Trombone Shorty walking oh, to uh, basically down to Frenchman Street here in the, uh, the Soul Rebels play. He had a pretty doggone good time. And so when he left, he had a pretty good feeling about the United States of America writ large uh, from our nation's capital our political capital to our nation's cultural capital. And it was a, it was a, it was a blast. Yeah. Oh my, that must've been a great, great time. You'll never forget that he one. Was, he was lovely yeah. though. Listen, he could not have been more effusive about the president or America or, or our country. And uh, he's been a great ally as has France for, you know, for, for generations. And they're going to continue to be because that relationship is very strong. Well, as you say, laissez les bon temps rouler, huh? Laissez les bon temps You got it. Mitchell Andrew, bye-bye math. Uh, you've got $1.2 trillion, $185 billion out the door. That means you've still got a lot, long way to go and a lot of work to go. Uh, good luck holding that tiger by the tail, getting those good projects. Thank you for all the great work that you're doing for uh, all of us across the country. Mitchell Andrew, and thanks for your time on the Bill Press Pod today. We will catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Bill. Great being with you. And that's it for today's podcast with Mitch Landrew, special assistant to President Biden, doing a great job overseeing this uh, Infrastructure Act. So, so important for uh, every single uh, American. We'll be back on Friday, uh, not with the roundtable this week. I mean, look, it's the holidays. All of our special roundtable reporter friends are off enjoying the holidays. But we've got something very special for you. You may remember we uh, recently talked to Dana Milbank and David Korn, both of whom have written very important books about what the hell happened to the Republican Party. How did it go from the Republican Party that we once knew to this extreme gang of right-winger mega nuts that we have today? Dana Milbank's book, The Destructionist, David Korn, American Psychosis. So we're going to revisit um, both Dana and David Korn on this Friday as a special treat for you. Uh, and um, just, just remind ourselves of how bad today's Republican Party really is. Probably hopeless, probably gone forever. Donald Trump has destroyed it. That's Friday, and we'll see you then for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>